Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday MBA. Interviews with best-selling authors, innovative thought leaders, and top-shelf executives, all sharing their best techniques and tips that you don't learn in business school. I'm your host, Kevin Crane, and I'm so pleased that you're listening. Our guest today is Kirk Mitchie. Kirk is managing partner at Candor Advisors. Candor Advisors provides transaction advisory services to successful founder-led businesses. Kirk has raised over a billion dollars of capital and reviewed thousands of direct investments. He's participated in more than 50 merger and acquisition transactions, and that is what we will be discussing today, the intricacies of mergers, acquisitions, and some best practices to consider when selling your business. So, Kirk, welcome to Everyday MBA. Now, you have a warning for our listeners and say that potential buyers are often full-time predators and that successful founders often find that they are part-time prey. How so? What do you mean by that? What I mean by it is not necessarily, I'm not casting aspersions on any type of buyer, um, whether they be a private equity firm or a strategic buyer. Um, I'm not criticizing their motivation. It's just that the people that are involved in buying companies, um, even say the junior analysts, um, at the private equity firm or the second or third chair on buyers council have had more experience buying businesses in the last quarter or six months than most successful founders will have in a lifetime. They just have more reps in the M&A gym. And so this is just one of those areas where no matter how successful you are as an entrepreneur, no matter how strong your impulses are for decision-making and negotiating, this is an area where reps matter a lot, experience matters a lot. And so I encourage people to armor up, whether it's hiring a transaction advisor like us, going to an experienced M&A attorney, um, working with a more traditional investment bank, or even making sure you pull in the collective experience of your YPO or Vistage group. Just make sure that you don't just try and do this on your own. Armor up. What do you mean by armor up? What kinds of armor do I need? Well, there are a number of things that the buyer understands um, that they want to know about your business, either to assess how attractive it is or to guard themselves against the risk that there's something about the business um, that they don't see. Right. And so oftentimes the simplest way that this um, you armor up is just don't give up too much too soon. Right. So maybe you get outreach from a non-decision maker who has a compelling um, you know, email or phone call to you saying, we're buying businesses in your sector, Kevin, we find your business really, really attractive. We'd love to learn more. You know, of course, flattery works, right? And so you're proud of your business and you're right about retirement age. You've been thinking about selling. And so um, maybe you don't immediately know that you should get a non-disclosure agreement in place with a potential buyer before you exchange any information, even an email with as simple information as what your trailing 12 months of revenues and profits are. And certainly um, you should have not only an NDA in place, but maybe hold back some information when they send over a request list of items that they want to see. Because there's nothing in providing all of that early information up front, um, either before there's an NDA or before there is some kind of indication of interest or letter of intent in place that will help you in getting more for your business or controlling the terms of the sale. 
It's not unlike lawyering up. In other words, this is this is their ballpark, right? For sure. That's that's absolutely right. You're not going to in 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 making sure that you put the non-disclosure agreement in place or even um, inserting a transaction advisor in the process, you're not going to chase away a good, sincere buyer. But you will um, chase away somebody who was hoping to kind of pick off your business because they thought maybe you wouldn't understand what valuation metrics look like or how attractive your business is or where your business might fit into something else. You just, there's no way you know that business or that that part of the business because you've been head down building your company um, and you just haven't participated in the M&A world. Before. Right. That's that's the predator prey thing that you're you're talking about. Right. Now, exactly. all right. So what should business owners look for in a potential buyer that's legit for their business and how can they avoid becoming prey? Yeah. So that's a fantastic question. Um, you know, they're, they're in, in the best of processes, there's kind of parallel due diligence, right? So um, the buyer makes outreach. It's important for a seller to understand their why. Um, so why are you thinking about selling your business? Is it because um, you want to retire? Is it because you don't have any natural successors? Is it because um, your, your employees or your partners can't buy you out? Are you burnt out? Are you worried about the next recession? You don't want to go through it. Are you worried about some big secular change that might make your business less and less attractive? Um, if you understand your why, then the alignment with the proper buyer um, is going to be just that much easier. For instance, if you're completely burnt out, you don't want to go through another year of managing HR issues or navigating pricing in the marketplace or dealing with your competitors then selling to a private equity firm is not going to work because they're going to want you to hang around for a while, right? A strategic might work well, but they might not pay you as much as you need so that on an after-tax basis, you can endow the rest of your life net of inflation and spending and taxes to be able to live, right? So you need to kind of understand why you're selling because when it comes down to vetting the different kinds and types of offers and buyers, um, you got to get that alignment to make a deal work well. We talked about why a little bit, but when is also the question. How do I know when the best time to sell my business is and when should I not sell? Yeah. So this is a fantastic question. What's interesting here is that oftentimes um, successful entrepreneurs think that the when has mostly to do with their position in relation to retirement or that why that I was talking about. And I don't want to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here, but but there are some opportunistic elements of the win. For instance, um, the M&A markets have been really, really hot for the last three or four years. Um, part of that was really low interest rates allow buyers to finance transactions um, at, 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 you know, nicely levered potential returns and cheap costs of carrying, you know, the buyout. They don't have to put in all equity. They can borrow money to do the deals. Um, frothy public markets lead to higher valuation in private markets, right? And so those things opportunistically tended to favor sellers in the last couple of years. Um, you know, so, so there's the, the win part of what the marketplace is doing. And then there's the win part about what kind of condition your business is in. For instance, if you, um, were really, really affected by the pandemic, and you're just now getting back to um, the same level of revenue or profits that you were generating before the pandemic, 
probably not the right time to sell because it doesn't look like you're on enough of a trajectory to kind of continue that forward until you've kind of proven it out. On the other hand, if um, you've, you're, you're going into a down cycle because um, inflation heating up is causing, you know, your revenue to drop a little bit or competitive pressures to impact the company, then you don't necessarily want to go to market with those dynamics. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneur on Fire, and you're listening to Everyday MBA with Kevin Crane. You must be prepared to ignite. You know, folks, I have the pleasure of interviewing some of today's top business authors and thought leaders, and I learn a lot, and so do our listeners. Would you like to be a guest on Everyday MBA? Well, I'd love to speak with you, too. Are you an author, a thought leader, an entrepreneur, or a consultant? Be a guest. Let's talk about your ideas, why they're important, and what your recommendations are for our listeners. Find out more at everyday-mba.com slash guest. That's everyday-mba.com slash guest. You're listening to Everyday MBA. We are here with Kirk Mitchie. We're talking about the intricacies of mergers and acquisitions and best practices to consider when selling your business. Kirk is managing partner at Candor Advisors, and you can find him and find out more at candor-advisors.com. Now, Kirk, you have six secrets to every successful sale. What are those secrets? <laughs> yeah. um, so people wonder why I um, I give this away because this seems like it'd be kind of the whole ball game, but the reality is it's not. There are essentially three do's and three don'ts. Um, so the do's are, we've, we've been talking about a little bit of this. Know your why. Understand why you're selling your business. Um, you know, what's animating your decision to exit right now? Make sure you align that why with the kind of buyer that you're talking to and get your financials in order. Make sure that your financials are professionalized. Um, a QuickBooks download is not going to show really, really well um, when you're talking to a sophisticated buyer. So, um, you know, consider having CPA prepared financials. Um, if you're not compiled, get compiled. If you're not reviewed, get reviewed. Maybe it doesn't make sense to get audited. Maybe it doesn't make sense to have a sell side quality of earnings done. But professionalizing your financials is really, really critical because your buyer will pay a multiple of those financials increased by the likelihood they'll continue and decreased by the likelihood that they won't. So those are the three do's. The don'ts are don't give up too much too soon. Don't provide the buyer with a whole bunch of information without the proper documentation and the proper um, protection in place. Don't try and do this yourself. Um, I touch on this in the full-time predators and part-time prey piece of things, but there are so many things that you'll be glad you paid for by the time you get to the end of a successful sale that would not have occurred to you beforehand. Um, as a seller, you will be in meetings you are woefully unequipped to navigate well if you have not been through the M&A process before. And the last thing, and the number one deal killer, finally, in the don'ts categories, don't argue with the marketplace. Marketplace gets to decide what your business is worth. And unfortunately, Kevin, that is... Um, pretty much devoid of your expectations or view or your beliefs about what your company is worth. The marketplace gets to decide. You get to decide whether you'll take that price or those terms or whether you need to go back and build more value or you need to focus more on the things that the marketplace values. 
But if you go into the marketplace with a full-blown process and then you argue with the marketplace about the value, you'll be unsuccessful with your transaction. You won't like your lawyer and your investment banker. You'll chase away a bunch of buyers who will see you as unrealistic. And it might impact your ability to come back in 18 to 24 months and try it again. What about family-owned businesses? Perhaps a business that's been in the family for a couple of generations and now we don't really have a clear succession are there special considerations that family-owned businesses should be looking at as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so some of these, this this gets into the area of kind of knowing your why, understanding what your alternative paths are, right? Because sometimes in a family business, you can find outside financing to keep it in the family's hands. Um, you know, so there are most of the businesses that we work with are closely held and sometimes that includes being um you know family owned and run businesses that have passed down a couple of generations and so you know going back to that why there's that critical component um, because it's more legacy in a family-owned business than it is in a business that was started in this generation but the other thing too to be aware of if you have a family-owned business is buyer will sometimes exploit family dynamics to their benefit, they'll pay less or control terms more. For instance, um, if you've got you know two siblings who don't agree on how the company needs to run and they need to sell it because governance is a problem, well, the buyer will spot that pretty early on and they'll see that your outcome is you wanna be away from your sibling, you are sick of dealing with this and they might structure their buyout offer to take advantage of that. Or let's say, um, you know, you've got a couple who started a business um, and they're now divorced or heading for a divorce and they want to sell the business um, to be able to split the assets. Um, well, a buyer's going to spot that right away. And generally speaking, they're going to figure out which of the parties seems to be more in control, which wants out more, and they're going to structure their offer around that. Mm -hmm. So family dynamics can be wonderful if there's kind of solidarity going on in the why of selling the business, but they can also be easily exploited by buyers. Can you give us an example of one organization or one deal that you feel has been particularly successful? Uh, what did they do? What were the results? And how can we do it too? Well, there are a, there are a number of them. And, and one of the things that I would like to, to make sure that all of your listeners hear is that it all starts with having a great business. There are some things that candor advisors or a great transaction advisor or a great M&A lawyer can do to improve upon um, the price or the terms or the control of legacy. But if you don't start with a great business, we can't do any of that. And we've been really blessed with um, some fantastic businesses. Um, you know, we were involved in the sale of a cannabis services business um, that was five and a half years old to a major public company for over $200 million. Um, these were two of the smartest entrepreneurs I've ever worked with. They've been in the cannabis business for 20 years. Um, they're savvy, they're bright, they hired the right advisors. They knew exactly what they wanted in the sale. They stayed aligned through the process. Um, nine months of due diligence and all kinds of stuff going back and forth. There was plenty of times where they could have just said, forget it, this is too hard. But they hung in there as a group um, and they got to a fantastic outcome. And by the way, they took care of their employees in a way that I've seen very few um, other businesses do. Um, and we've also been involved in situations where 
we've chased away a bad buyer um, when a guy, you know, a, an owner of a business thought they wanted to sell, thought they had alignment with the buyer. And we asked a few questions of the buyer around deal structure and financing and smoked out the idea that this buyer was in one case recently just trying to get smart to do other deals in that area and never had any intention to go in the distance. So we didn't want to give up too much too soon. In another case, the buyer was trying to get the deal into exclusivity, meaning they wanted to be the only potential bidder to start their due diligence process so that they could uncover something in due diligence and reduce the price by saying, well, you didn't tell us about this and therefore we're going to do what's called retrade the, the deal. So we've been in some um, extraordinary processes. Um, and I think our mission is to guide founders to the best outcomes. That doesn't necessarily mean getting to a sale. If we find out that the right outcome isn't to sell the business right now, or isn't to sell the business to that buyer, we've structured our model so that we're not levered economically based upon the outcome. We just want to get the buyer to the right outcome. Or excuse me, the seller to the right outcome. I'm so pleased that you're listening to this podcast. If you like what I do, why not let me do it for you? My audio podcasting services give voice to your success and expertise. Do you have a happy customer? Let them tell their story in their own words. Need to get your subject matter experts heard by new clients? Let's do an interview and we'll discuss the topics at hand. Are you an author, an analyst, a C-suite leader? Let me create a custom podcast for you that gets your message out to a new audience worldwide. Want to find out more? Go to cranegroup.com. That's C-R-A-I-N-E, cranegroup.com. You're listening to Everyday MBA. We are speaking with Kirk Mitchie about mergers, acquisitions, and the best practices to consider when selling your business. You can find out more at candoradvisors.com. That's candor-advisors. Now, Kirk, we have uh, reached the action item round of the show. I'm wondering if you could provide us with three quick action items that our listeners can do to begin to take advantage of your ideas and advice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Whether whether you're a higher transaction advisor or not, um, three of our six secrets are the best action items. So the first one, and you'll hear me thump this drum over and over and over again, is know your why. Understand why you're selling your business. Um, it probably is more complicated than just getting a big pile of money and riding off into the sunset. Um, and frankly, getting all cash at closing and being able to leave the business entirely is the rarest of transactions. So if that is your why, let's definitely have a conversation about the probabilities that that happens. But, but definitely know your why. Um, professionalize the financials. Because your business, no matter how unique it is, no matter how differentiated it is, no matter how big a moat it has around it, um, it will be valued as a multiple of its historic financial results. And those will be increased by the likelihood that that will continue to grow and persist or decreased by the fact that maybe those financials are too centered around one or a few customers or are a little too lumpy. And then the last piece and I can't say this enough, don't argue with the marketplace. If the market decides that your business is worth four times EBITDA, if that's the right number for the market, and you think your business should be worth six, it kind of doesn't matter. 
Um, you can decide that if four times isn't enough, you don't, you don't want to sell right now. Or you can grow your EBITDA to the level that four times that, you know, grown number will be enough to get you to your number. But don't argue with the marketplace. It's a waste of time for you and everybody else involved. And it will cost you money and emotional horsepower to be arguing with market anyway. Well, Kirk, it's been great speaking with you today. We're almost out of time, but before I let you go, one last question. You've given us some killer advice here today, but what was the best piece of advice that you ever received and how has it shaped who you are? So, um, I would say, I would say there were two different things. Um, you know, one had to do with, um, an early mentor of mine encouraging me to quarterback my own career. Um, and, you know, what he was essentially telling me was don't rely on anybody else, you know, to kind of get to the outcome that you're hoping for solely. You have to have a sense of that. Um, and frankly, Kevin, I lost track of that and found myself at 57 years old, not quite ready to retire, not being in a financial position to be able to retire and wondering what I was going to do to work the next 10, 15 years, trying to find something that really brought me a lot of joy and money. And um, I had a, a, a really, really important client at that point encourage me to bet on myself. In fact, he specifically said, Kirk, if you continue to do what you're doing right now, which was being a financial advisor and managing people's money, he said, if you continue doing what you're doing right now, I think it's going to kill you. Um, I don't know if it's going to be slow or fast, but I think it's going to kill you. And I would encourage you to do something you're really, really more passionate about. And not long after that, I started Candor Advisors. And we went from um, one small client in uh, our first 60 days to eight clients, um, all of whom were bigger than the first small client. Um, we've participated in nearly a billion dollars worth of transactions in the past 12 months. Um, we have a waiting list of clients who'd like to work with us. And I am kind of the reluctant scaler. I ask my clients for advice about how to effectively hire people and maintain, you know, the kind of core culture. Um, so, so I would say listening to that, 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 you know, client tell me to bet on myself was the greatest advice I could have been given. That is Kirk Mitchie. Kirk, thank you so much for being our guest today on Everyday MBA. Thanks, Kevin. Really enjoyed being with you. That'll do it for this episode of Everyday MBA. And do you want to be a guest on the show? It could happen. Join our Knowledge Leadership Circle and be featured in an interview of your own. Be a guest. Just go to everyday-mba.com slash guest for more information. That's everyday-mba.com slash guest.